Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the Editor-in-Chief of Modern Retail. And this week, I'm really excited. We have Brett Smith. He's the co-founder and CEO of Counterculture Coffee. And Counterculture is actually a very nostalgic brand for me because one of my very first jobs in New York City was slinging specifically Counterculture Coffee um, at a coffee shop here. And so um, I've known you guys for years. I've drunk your beans for years. Um, I think you're a really interesting, long-standing, you know, third-wave coffee brand that's been around for a while that people have always loved and bought. And I'm interested just to hear what you guys have been up to. You have your subscription plan, you have your wholesale, all that stuff. I want to hear sort of how you're evolving the business, especially post-2020 with all the changes that happened with, you know, coffee shop, hospitality, et cetera. But Brett, how are you doing? Welcome, welcome to the pod. Well, well, thank you very much. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be chatting with you today. And it's it's always good to, to meet someone that has worked with our coffee. It's always a thrill and an honor when I meet someone and they, and they remember it. That's, that's great. Oh, yeah. I, I know you guys. And I, I still, when I see a coffee shop that has it, I'll always go in and say, I'm, as long as they make it well, it'll taste good. For those who don't know, do you want to just give a little bit of background about first who you are and then how Counterculture started? Because it's been around for a few decades now, right? It, it has, which is hard to believe. And I know this is a podcast, but I've got a lot of gray hair that wasn't here when we started. Um, but yeah, the, the origins of counterculture go back uh, to 1995 and actually a little bit before that. Um, I, the, the short of it is that I was in graduate school, uh, business school, uh, getting my MBA at University of North Carolina, the, the, the Keenan Flagler School. And I had an entrepreneurial itch um, that uh, was probably put put there by my stepfather who was an entrepreneur and, and I knew I wanted to go into business of some sort, but I, I didn't really have a specific area. Um, but over the course of my time at business school, I started seeing coffee. Um, during the summer between first and second year, I, I actually worked on a municipal bond trading desk as an internship because I have a finance background. But the Bloomberg, which sits on the desk at the time, there was this company called Starbucks, Starbucks, Starbucks that was getting a lot of attention. And then there were several other things that led me down this path of, of, of noticing coffee. I was not a lifelong coffee drinker. Um, but ultimately, I met an individual that was in the coffee business, a guy named Fred Houck. Um, and he worked for a little company in Durham. And we ended up uh, getting to know each other. And after literally just a couple of meetings, we decided to go into business together. Um, I always laugh because it wasn't a grand, thorough you know, market analysis that you might expect from a business school um, student. But, but ultimately, it, I did feel like this was a product um, that was attractive for a couple of reasons, um, not just because it tasted great. Like I said, I wasn't a lifelong coffee drinker, but I did appreciate coffee to a degree at that point, certainly appreciate it more now. But what I saw was an opportunity, uh, was a product that, that people bought frequently um, that was up in the, 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 that you could differentiate it. The, the coffees that we were starting to look at to sell, uh, they were of a premium cap, you know, in that category. And I felt like, you know, you see Starbucks taking coffee to a different level. And, 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 and I saw restaurants locally that were fine dining restaurants, James Beard award winning chefs. And they were looking for better coffee. And, and even then, some of their coffee programs were undeveloped, but you could see that they wanted to have better product. So really, that was the basis for us feeling like we had a great opportunity. And so we started in Durham. 
and it was Fred and me, and it was we were in a 750-square-foot warehouse uh, and uh, one little roaster, and we were kind of off to the races. But even then, we were we were paying out, if you will, or our product was 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 of a high quality um, level. And we, we always wanted to have find source great coffees. And that was driven by our own desire to, you know, great product. We wanted to differentiate the product and quality was one way. But also we worked with some very demanding chefs who, who really set a high bar. And I always say that we, we kind of cut our teeth on really raising the bar on ourselves every year with the culinary scene in the North Carolina, Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill area. And so that was really the first, uh, you know, few years. Um, and we were kind of off to the races. Uh, we certainly didn't anticipate that coffee, specialty coffee, uh, was going to take off and have the popularity that it has grown to have. Um, but we, we were there and we were pushing quality. And, and over the years, we've continued to challenge ourselves to raise the bar on ourselves um, to, to find great coffee and, and find great sources of coffee and find great customers. And so that combination has helped us through the years go from tiny little facility in, in Durham, um, in the, the mid nineties to now we have our main facility is still in Durham. It's much larger now, but also we have a facility on the West coast in Emeryville, just outside of San Francisco. And we have offices scattered throughout the country and and are reaching customers through grocery stores and direct to consumer and, and through uh, restaurants and coffee shops. So a lot has happened over the, the last almost 30 years, which is amazing. Um, but I think the foundations that we set in the first couple of years as it relates to quality, being thoughtful about how we go about it, asking ourselves, is this the way we can do it now, tomorrow, next year, down the road? Um, I think all that's helped us continue to, to have steady growth and to accomplish many goals. We have a lot left, but it helped us along the way. I would say that you, you were one of the early pioneers on, on that sort of sourcing front, specifically when the conversation came. Like, I feel like there was talks of fair trade, you know, back then, but then direct trade became a big talking point. I think it was you and Stumptown specifically who sort of positioned that and made that actually a really big marketing push for why consumers should care about that. Exactly. And, and intelligentsia would also fall into that category as well. And, and the idea was, you know, initially, um, this will date, this will age me, date me and, and, and date the company. But initially, the offerings that we would get would be on a fax machine. And I always laugh. It was the, the curly paper that would fall behind the fax machine. And most people can't appreciate that, but older folks will. But we would get an offering and the offering was was uh, somewhat generic. It might be, you know, Colombian, uh, a, a type of Colombian coffee or a Kenya double A or um, uh, whatever it might be. And, and it never went much further than that in terms of region and certainly not farmers. And, and so what we felt was important was to, to go down that supply chain and really understand the, the source, the farmers, um, and really, because we felt like there was an opportunity to, in essence, have a conversation with the suppliers. Um, and, and, and really, the, the, the big picture idea was what we put in place was 
we took the model of a, a customer service rep, someone that engages with our customers, and we we, we had um, we flipped the model sort of, and we called it producer relations instead of customer relations, producer relations. And we said we need to get to know our suppliers, and we need to understand, uh, you know, to understand them, their needs, and and communicate our needs, and see if we can find a common ground that we can work together. Uh, so that we can continue building uh, a relationship and, and get our needs met, you know, and that that's sort of the model in its simplest form. Um, and so, you know, different countries, different farmers in different countries ha- might have different needs, and 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 then for us, you know, the market might change some, and we're hey, we're looking, we might want to try a different variety of coffee, and and so working with farmers to work on different varieties or a different processing method. Um, and it's really in its simplest form, it is a conversation to work together uh, to get everyone's needs met uh, so that you can continue building on that relationship now and next year and, and down the road. So, um, so that was the idea. And over a number of years, we've continued to to develop those relationships to the point now where we have many relationships that we've had for many, many years and that we've grown together. Did you realize early on that that would be such a critical marketing point for your brand that you talking about where you're sourcing it from and how you're going about that sourcing and sort of the, the ethical parts of that with, with that, that, that the shopper or the the consumer would actually care about that? Um, not really. I, I, I think that, Oftentimes, if we're going to commit to something as a, that, that might fall into that category that we would want to market it, um, you know, the litmus test is, are we going to do this if no one knows about it? Will we still do it? And the answer with developing long-term relationships with suppliers was, was absolutely. Um, we need to have a steady supply of coffee. We need to have coffee that can grow with this. We need to have a, a coffee source um, that we can you know, push and pull. I mean, I think that's, that's part of a good relationship is having open, honest conversations. Wow, this worked. Wow, this didn't. Um, and we needed that so that we could continue bringing unique coffees, coffees of a certain quality, different coffees. Um, of course, you know, as people are interested in it, yeah, we're happy to share. And I'm delighted that people are interested in that. And I do think it's important, um, that, uh, that we understand what goes on in a company behind the, the product. I think that that's, uh, I think that's exciting to be honest and it, and it, and it can lead to really good things. I want to talk a little bit about business model because y- your business model is for many years was relatively simple, but also slightly different from, from the other competitors in that you focused, correct me if I'm wrong, mostly on wholesale only. Is that right? Yeah. So, and for us, the wholesale was uh, restaurants and coffee shops. Um, and, and maybe a, a one-off market, but, but primarily restaurants and coffee shops. And, and, and one thing to appreciate, when we started in 1995, um, there was not the proliferation of coffee shops that we, we have now. I, I, I'm not sure if the numbers are totally right, but I remember back then there were just a couple of coffee shops at most in Chapel Hill. Um, and I think now if you include bookstores and, and all the different iterations that, you know, there are dozens. And so really our initial market really was restaurants. And, um, but yeah, so our model was what we call our training center model. And, um, so 
one of the challenges of growing, I think, any business, or and, and for us, one of the challenges we met was getting to that next town over, so to speak. Um, it's one thing to have a customer here. You can visit them. They're right in your backyard. Um, you can get to know them, um, and they get to know you. And, and, and it's not that it's easy, but that certainly is conducive to, to building a long-term relationship. Well, how do you take it to the next town over where – you might not know them that well. You might not be able to, to be that close to them, but you still want to carry it. You still want to give them great product. And so we opened up a satellite office in Charlotte, North Carolina. I can't remember the year, but it was, we knew that whenever we brought someone into our home office and for the most part in a sales, uh, on a sales call, say it's a chef um, or maybe it was the owner of a coffee shop and we sat down and we cupped coffees. We tasted coffees. The coffee term for tasting is cupping coffees. And we showed them our facility and they got to meet our people and they got to taste the coffee and we got to have a conversation. It was really a meaningful experience and it created a good relationship, a foundation for a great relationship. So we asked ourselves, how can we take that show on the road, so to speak? We can't take the roasters everywhere, but we could take this opportunity to have someone sit down with us sort of in our environment and, and have a conversation. So we opened up our first office in uh, Charlotte and the reaction was what we expected of, yeah, people can meet us, but also there was an appreciation that we were in that community, you know, local to a degree, you know, we weren't roasting there, but we were local to a degree. Then we also really, as we started working with more and more coffee shops, appreciated the opportunity to share our knowledge about coffee, to, to educate, to train. And so these centers became training centers. And, and over the years, we've developed a curriculum to support coffee shops, to support, um, you know, baristas. And, and we have a whole service to help them be what we, what we call be better coffee people. So, and, and, and the benefits are, are kind of obvious. They, they, you know, do a better job. We can help them understand the product better. We can help them get excited about it. We can help them to a degree, you know, help their baristas get better um, at, at the craft. And, and of course, that translates to the experience that their customer has. And so it really works as a way for us to build relationships. So with that model in mind, we decided to take it to other towns. And so we started opening up other training centers in, in other cities. And, and as of now, we have training centers in 13 cities, including here in Durham down in Miami, up to New York, all the way out west, Seattle, San Francisco, and L.A., and the middle of the country in Dallas and Chicago. And not only do we work with our uh, wholesale partners, uh, the restaurants and coffee shops, but we're also engaging consumers. What we found was that consumers were signing up. You know, we, we offered these labs, and, and consumers were expressing a lot of interest in it. And so we quickly realized that you know, learning about coffee, learning about espresso, learning about brewing methods, learning about origins of varietals, whatever it might be, is not limited to coffee professionals, quote unquote, but it's coffee enthusiasts. And so, so our initial model was to go from town to town and, and we wanted to work with great coffee shops and great restaurants and we wanted to get a nationwide footprint. And it took us many, many years before we jumped to the West Coast, so to speak. But as a business model, we were able to have that experience, that counterculture experience, to a pretty high degree in different towns. 
And, and that led to a base level of, of, of brand awareness, of brand appreciation. And, and I, I know I was thrilled one time when I was traveling and I had a counterculture sticker on my laptop on an airplane and someone said, oh, counterculture. I went to a class in New York or, or yeah, my friend of mine, uh, you know, went to a class and learned about how to steam milk or, or something like that. And it was it's like, whoa, that's amazing. But we always felt like we wanted to really have that base, that foundation of business and then build on it. And so really the last five to 10 years, we've taken that model and, and started going from just on the, you know, in the kitchens of, of, of great restaurants or on the counter of great coffee shops or in smaller markets and expanding to larger retailers, to larger groceries stores and also direct to consumer. And so sort of a three-leg, you know, three-channel model, if you will, of, of, of wholesale, direct-to-consumer, and through grocery. And, um, and, and really taking that coffee experience, the potential for that coffee experience, from a coffee shop or a restaurant, or they might be able to, or a consumer might be able to pick up the product at a Whole Foods or a Harris Teeter or now some Kroger and Targets or larger retailers, or go to our website and, and, and buy some unique special origins or, or have a subscription that, that rotates through with different, different coffees that sometimes are an experiment, sometimes are, are uh, something totally new, or, or sometimes it's, it's, it's a relationship from a farm uh, or an origin that we've had for years and years. So an old standby, maybe, um, that comes back year after year. So yeah, back to the initial model, we chose not to go into retail stores, meaning we chose not to open up shops of our own. Um, and that was a conscious decision. A lot of people understandably think, well, it's a coffee business, doesn't it? Doesn't it make sense? And you're training baristas and training folks that run coffee shops. And do I think we could run a coffee shop? Yes, I, I, I do. And you never say never, but we don't have anything on the, 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 the books. But we felt like we could get that nationwide footprint um, uh, more easily by going into markets with the training center model um, as opposed to making the, the larger investment for a coffee shop. And it's really a different business in many ways. Um, so we have stuck to our model and have continued to do that, working hard to support coffee shops and restaurants that are our customers um, and bring them a great experience and, and create a great relationship with them but also at the same time now starting to uh, pursue other opportunities, other channels to take our product to a larger audience. So you, you guys are relatively, uh, you're very uh, unique in that you're one of the, the biggest roasters out there that's still um, independently and privately owned. That you're still pri um, and I feel like there are, a lot of, there are a lot of other companies out there that you've been compared with that usually are bought up by kind of the same entity, like um, private equity, like JBA, the places JB, that buy like Yeah, yeah and, and, you know, Stumptown and Intelligentsia were purchased a number of years ago. And, and you know, that's fine. That's the direction that they wanted to go. I, you know, I, I think that that's certainly their choice. Um, we've stayed independent um, and are continuing down that path. And, um, you know, I, I never say never, but we're, we're pretty happy doing what we're doing. Um, and, you know, I, I think that, uh, I think that, um, you know, are, are there opportunities out there to take on financial partners? Um, yes. And, and maybe we pursue that day that I'm not sure. One thing that is really certain 
is that we want to continue doing what we're doing the way we're doing it, which is continuing. And, and I'm not saying these other companies aren't doing what they're doing, but for us, we, we are really, um, it, we, we put on paper a, a vision statement a number of years ago, and, and, and really the gist of it is really three things. It's about quality, sustainability, education. And those are our guiding lights, and we want to continue to be able to be able doing that. And, uh, and I think we can. I think we can. And, and the direction we're going, uh, you know, we're, we're continuing to challenge ourselves every day on, with those, those sort of pillars, if you will. You're still independently owned, and I feel like a lot of the other competition have a slightly different model in that they have a coffee, all of them focus on coffee shops or they have that that thing. And so I, I feel like a lot of them now are probably feeling the pressure when you have financial partners of of growing as as much as you can or figuring out a way so that you you have better margins. How have you how have you talked about growth? What is, like have you has it just been a very natural thing? If we go to this this city, we'll open up a training center and that'll work. Have you have you felt the pressures of sort of hyper growth as a company that's been you know growing nationally for decades now? Well, I think the COVID was such an incredible thing in so many ways. I mean, obviously that's that's an obvious statement, but as it relates to our business. Um, much like many businesses, especially businesses in the food service, uh, you know, March of 2020 was, it was amazing. It's a huge part of our business went away, um, 80, 90%, you know, overnight. And, and, and obviously there's an incredible amount of uncertainty about this, the, you know, this pandemic about, it was an incredible time to, to say the least. Um, but an interesting thing happened, um, that during that process of COVID, um, and, and I'm sure, and you've seen this in so many different areas that at home, uh, consumption or at home for obvious reasons went through the roof and grocery, uh, once again, to buy it, to take it home, uh, really exploded wholesale coffee shops and restaurants, obviously slowed down dramatically. So really one of the challenges we've had over the last couple of years is, is, uh, keeping up with that demand and what's a key point about that demand is, is the packaging. Um, for, for wholesale, it goes into a five-pound bag, and we have a system that's automated for that, and that's very easy to scale up. The grocery and direct-to-consumer is primarily in 12-ounce bags. And, and to be honest, it, it caught us on our heels a little bit with the uptick in demand for that type of product. And so we've scrambled to put in the appropriate automation to put in the appropriate um, systems we need to accommodate that. So that's been a big challenge, to be honest. And, and also, there have been supply chain delays with, with equipment. And so, you know, we're navigating a world that a lot of other manufacturers are navigating, which are delays and uncertainties. Um, so that's been, that's been a challenge for us. Um, but we, historically before that, um, you know, we have been able to, to grow at a rate that we're perfectly comfortable with, but we are, we are a growing brand and there's wonderful opportunities for us in the market um, that we want to take advantage of. And we are in the process of the facility that I'm in now of rearranging it, installing uh, additional equipment, and it will expand our capacity uh, really significantly and, and create, you know, make it easier for our staff and, you know, working, working with equipment that, that really helps them do their job um, more easily, more ergonomically, be it 
you know, conveyance of beans, you know, we're, we're moving a lot of beans. And so putting in uh, equipment to help that, um, moving roasted coffee and, and these things might not sound that significant, but when you're, you know, you're moving millions of pounds a year, um, simplifying that and making sure that, uh, that is, is a job, is a process that is sustainable and scalable, uh, for the team for, you know, and it meets the needs of our customers and, and having that, having all those stakeholders in mind when you, when you grow. So the exciting thing that we're really on the edge of, uh, meaning edge in terms of time over the next few months, um, uh, we will really have systems in place that are really will, will help our team continue to, to scale um, without, you know, all right, just do twice as much. No, <laughs> here's, here's a wonderful tool to help us do that. And we're already talking about expanding our facility that will, that will uh, e- even give us greater opportunity um, for efficiencies, for um, just overall, you know, make, make the process easier. And, and better for the team. So, you know, I, I think that um, the growth question is uh, ultimately it comes down to uh, working hard to grow sustainably. Um, would we all like to double every year? And I, yeah, in a certain way, but you got to understand what, what that means. You got to understand, you know, where is that going to create pressure? Where is that going to, uh, potentially um, make a, a long-term relate, compromise uh, a long-term relationship. Um, and to the best of our ability, looking down the road and saying, wow, okay, we can sustain. I don't, I don't think it's, it's right to necessarily stay okay. Yeah, you have targets for growth, but you can't say, oh, we're absolutely going to grow this amount every year. It's, wow, what do we feel like is appropriate and, and how can we do that? But I will say it's been challenging the last couple of years because there was such a dramatic shift in the packaging configuration that we were used to. And, uh, and we brought on additional equipment um, and we're improving that process literally every day. Um, and so that, that's been a big challenge over the last couple of years. But we have additional roasting capacity coming online, conveyance capacity coming online, uh, and, and, and packaging capacity coming online, and, and just better best practices um, that at our scale really make a big difference. Um, it, it sounds silly, but sometimes it's just, you know, where you arrange things, where, where's the trash can? Is that, you know, are we tripping over it every time? Let's put it in the right place. That sounds simple, but those, those things really have an impact. And, and it's really fun leveraging the team, you know, the team knows. And so we can bring big ideas and then, okay, uh, help the team pick us apart, pick it apart and put it back together. So it really works with us. Given that you've grown this direct-to-consumer business, you, you've been focusing a lot on on retail and, and grocery. Uh, is wholesale still the vast majority of your business, or sort of what is the makeup of the other two? Yeah, right now, um, and wholesale's come back from 2020 numbers. Um, and, and a part of wholesale is what we call food service. So, uh, working with organizations that might that we would sell sort of through them to larger customers. It might be offices, it might be um, different uh, restaurant groups, actually in, in, in airports, great opportunity there. There's really a step up in, 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 in the offerings in airports. Um, and it might be in, in you know, a sky lounge or, 
and we're working with and we're in a couple of the Amex Centurion lounges. So that part of that part and with coffee shops and restaurants that is coming back and it's still it's still uh, that and grocery uh, are, are about the same level in terms of pounds um, and uh, and and we do see grocery growing. Grocery is the fastest growing area um, and we see. You know, direct to consumer, huge spike in 2020, and and it kind of leveled off in 21. Uh, you know, and it's and it's continuing to sort of stay level. I think we're seeing in the market. Um, I guess Spotify, uh, excuse me, Shopify. I always I always mix those two. I Shopify. do the same. <laughs> Sh- Shopify just announced a layoff, and the the basis for it was that the. The, the purchasing habits that were created during COVID of direct-to-consumer are reversing some. People are getting out more. And so, of course, direct-to-consumer is going to always be there. And we're continuing to uh, create unique opportunities for customers to go to our website and have unique experiences there. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think anybody's going to see the growth that occurred in 2020 and 2021 with, with COVID spike. But it's continuing to grow. With DTC being more flat, how do you view that? Do you just view that as a way where you have sort of a wrapped audience and you can give them, you know, more tailored offerings, give them something that's a little bit different? What is is there? How do you view it so that even if it is just a blip in your overall financials, uh, something worthwhile? Well, I think that um, we, we have we actually operate two sites that are direct to consumer. We work with NPR and. Uh, uh, and manage the NPR Coffee Club, and so of course there are opportunities to engage with their listener base, and and, and that's really fun. Um, but direct to consumer, um, uh, yeah, we do offer different experiences, and we're 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 doing more with online learning. You know, some of the classes we talked about, some of the education through our, our website, people can can register for for those uh, those events and participate in those events and. And of course, it's a great place to have a conversation. You think of a training center where you can have a one-on-one conversation. You know, in many ways, our website is, is a way where we can have a digital conversation, which I think if you would said that three or four years ago, people would scratch their head. But now after COVID, you know, there's a lot more online, um, comfort online uh, that you can communicate. But yeah, so our website, we're continuing to, to you know, we can have experimental coffees that we might just buy a real limited amount, a couple hundred pounds at most, or even less. Um, Talking about our events that are happening in our training center, in really all three channels, um, even though they might seem different in certain ways, they do work together. Um, Our training centers, where we can engage with consumers, um, our customers, but also the consumers, um, and they can learn about the subscription service through by by an event in our training center, um, but they all work together. And so uh, we can educate online our consumers about something that might be happening at a local training center or that might be a going, occurring at a local restaurant or a coffee shop, or it might be something that might be going on in a grocery store. So they all work together. But you know, really understanding the different, but there are differences in the channels. You know, the need of a restaurant might be different than the need of a certain type of grocery store. Um, and we're really understanding those consumers and trying to meet them there, but also possibly maybe pull them along to, to get them to, 
to, to maybe try a single origin that they might never have tried before. We want to be there with their tried and true coffee that they might know, like our, our year-rounds um, hologram or Big Trouble, which are, 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 are always available and, and really available on, on most re- the grocery stores we work with. But also, can we work in a, a quarterly limited release there? Or can we interest them in counterculture so they go to our website and learn more about the company and maybe try a single origin that might not be available in their grocery store? I wanted to ask you about the NPR thing. So you head up the NPR Coffee Club. I know that you, you you have a few other partnerships that probably aren't the same, but I wanted to sort of group them into this one question. Like you're, you're available on Cometeer, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, uh, Cometeer, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's got, and so how do you view those as customer acquisition channels for counterculture as a company? How do you view each of these individual partnerships that you do in terms of why they're worthwhile for you to do them? Yeah, I mean, there's sort of a baseline of, um, you know, do we feel like the opportunity is big enough? And, 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 and we might say no, but we still want to do it. Um, but, but, you know, you sort of have a decision tree. Um, ultimately, do we, ultimately, we want to make sure that we don't compromise our quality of our coffee. And, and also we want to work with, with, uh, with, with partners, not just, okay, we're going to send you this product and, and, and you can do with it what you want. We want to make sure much like the, our suppliers, um, if we're selling to a, a customer, we want to make sure that they, they appreciate what we're doing and, and, and that they not only appreciate it, but it helps them um, in, in terms of their business. It's not like, yeah, yeah, I get it, but that's not really what my business is about. So it's got to make sense on that level. And, and it's, you know, obviously it's a way to grow business, but we want to make sure that we're, we're growing in, in a way that, um, you know, back to those core values of quality, sustainability, education. NPR, obviously a great way for education, a great way to introduce a larger audience to, to, to uh, different coffees. Great way to have some fun. I mean, the, the names of some of the blends are sort of whimsical. A great way to support NPR. And so uh, that was, was really a great opportunity for us. Um, and, you know, over the years, we've, we've, we've passed on a lot of partnerships, um, and just because they didn't really make sense for us, but ultimately we try to, to do things that will, once again, that will, that works for us, works for the, the partner we're working with. Um, and, and, and that we feel like we can work together. It's not just, yeah, okay, just send me the coffee. Um, no, we, we, we want you to really you know, you know, care about it. And, and when you do, cause it's, they're going to do a better job and, and it's going to be a better long-term relationship. So, um, you know, partnerships can be great. Um, and, uh, but, you know, and we've learned over the years, some, some, you feel like they're really going to go gangbusters and through no fault of anybody, it just, it just doesn't take, you know, and that's okay, but you learn from it and and move forward. Well, we're almost coming out of time or probably past time, but this has been a great conversation, but I wanted to ask just about sort of future plans. You mentioned earlier that you're focused a lot on expanding production or making the processes of production a little bit more systematized and streamlined. What else are you thinking of growing new channels? What's on your mind for the next six months to a year? Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, we're always contemplating how can we do what we're doing better? And so that, that, that doesn't change. That's not a new, uh, part of of philosophy at at counterculture. Uh, we're continuing to build the team, um, continuing to bring in some expertise. We're in the process of, of recruiting some individuals uh, 
with greater experience uh, than we have internally that with, with the grocery channel or with food service. Um, and so we're really trying to make sure that as we go down these paths, these channels, that we do it right and, um, and that we can bring in some expertise. Um, we're continuing to, to bring great, uh, you know, these single origins um, to a larger audience. Um, I did mention the food service channel. Uh, as, as people are going back to offices, as people are traveling more, as people, um, you know, it's a great opportunity there. And we see, um, you know, there's obviously always been a food service channel, but we're seeing a greater desire for higher quality coffee, for coffee like how, what we produce and, and, and how we go about it, which is, is really, really great. Um, we're doing two things internally uh, to, to really understand. We've, we've instituted and implemented a form of open book management, which I think is critical for the whole organization to really understand the finances. And so we're continuing to work on internal financial uh, education. You know, I come from a finance background. Some of it seems obvious, but to a lot of people, finance is a mystery. But the more we can understand about that internally and work together um, uh, and see how those numbers relate to quality, see how those numbers relate to sustainability, see how those numbers relate to education, that's, those are critical dots to connect. So we're really working hard on that. And also we, were, we are a B Corp. And, um, and we are working on our certification for next year and really working internally to, uh, in the pillars of the, of the B Corp world to be the best company we can um, for those aspects of B Corp that relate to us, um, be it, you know, DEI, be it environmental, be it, um, you know, customer relations or supplier relations. And so we're really putting in place those systems, which I, I call those foundational and that can, you know, I guess you could say, well, your foundation was established 20, 27 years ago. No, you need to go back and, and make sure that foundation is as solid as it can be. And I think those are the relevant things for, for us these days to make sure those are super solid so that the ultimate goal is to have an organization that grows sustainably, that grows uh, in a way that works for, for, the, for, for everyone that's involved with it. And, and I think that having an eye on those three areas of the company of, of you know, quality, sustainability, education, but also thinking about the environment, thinking about the customers, thinking about employees, thinking about communities, all that is part of building a long-term product, brand, company um, that I think will have staying power and have great success and also uh, is a lot of fun, uh, challenging at times, but a lot of fun and a lot of and very rewarding to, to build. Well, Brett, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you for joining. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for your interest and, and I, I really appreciate it. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and send this podcast over to a friend who you know would enjoy it. See you next week.